We've been talking about the armor of God, so I've entitled this series called Armed and Dangerous. And, uh, you know, and, and so I, I do that partly because I hope it'll help stick. But also, I want you to realize that you are armed, you know, but just because you're armed doesn't mean that you're automatically dangerous if you don't know how to use the weapons in which you've been given and the things at your disposal. And so... Um, my heart is that you're not dangerous to yourself or to other people, but my heart and my desire is that you would be dangerous and that all of hell would be frightened when you come walking around because you know who you are in Christ and you know what has been given to you uh, as a follower of Christ. And, you know, it's not some ego trip. It's not something, uh, you know, but at the same time, I am who I am. You are who you are. And the Bible says that we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. And uh, yet many times, if we're not careful, we can slip into a mode where we live beneath and not above. And we can uh, be whipped around. You know, have you ever heard the phrase that, uh, I know one time uh, I was having a conversation with my pastor in Kansas. And we were dealing with some things in our church and uh, some concerns with different things. And so we were talking about it. And he said, the problem is the tail is wagging the dog, not the other way around. And, uh, you know, and sometimes... You could, might feel like you're on the end of the tail getting whipped around. Well, you're not called to be the tail. And you're not called to be on the tail either. The Bible says that we are the head with Christ, in Christ. It's not about what we've done or what we do, but it is about what He has done for us. And we have to understand these things. And so over the last number of weeks, we've been walking through Ephesians 6, looking at the armor of God, the different elements. And so uh, kind of the impetus, if you will, of this uh, series came quite a number of months ago. But it comes out of Psalms 144, verse 1. I just want to remind you of the verse. And so, um, give you a couple of them, actually, that really kind of spurred all this. But here in Psalms 144, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. It says, He trains my hands for war, and He gives my uh, fingers skill for battle. He trains my fingers, or he, he gives my fingers skill for battle, and He trains my hands for war. You have been equipped. You have been trained. Whether you realize or not, you have been given equipment. But just as it says here, you need training. You know, I mean, I like to watch fighting and I like to watch those things. But, you know, those guys don't just get off the couch and walk in the ring to fight. There's a lot of training and months and months and months of preparation. And some of those fights last like 30 seconds. You know, and it's like, man, I just gave six months of my life to 30 seconds. You know, but if you're on the winning side, it was worth it. You know, and the thing is, is that we have to train ourselves and to train our spirits. Um, you know, and let me say it this way. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to train us in what we need so that we can live successfully. And so in Psalms uh, 18, verse 31, it says this. It says, for who is God except the Lord? And who but our God is a solid rock? He says in verse 32, my arm or he arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. Verse 34 says, he trains my hands for battle and he strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. In other words, God's going to give you the strength that you need to fight. You're not trying to fight this fight on your own. We do have an enemy. The Bible's very clear. You can't deny the devil and just hope he leaves you alone. That's not going to work. There are spiritual forces at work. You know, we, we are spirit people. Right? We are spiritual people first. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. In other words, two of those are somewhat temporary. One of them is very temporary. But yet the real, most eternal, most godlike part of you is spiritual. 
And we do have a spiritual adversary. And the Bible says in James that he is looking for somebody who he can devour. It doesn't say that he can, but he's looking for somebody who's susceptible. Somebody who is available. Somebody that's an easy dinner. The way I would say that. And yet, the Bible tells us multiple times that God has prepared us for this. He didn't just, in a sense, send us out to the wolves and say, good luck. No, he prepared us for battle. Not only did he prepare us, but he's also going to tell us how to be prepared. And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 10, he says a final word. He says to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So first and foremost, don't think you've got this thing by yourself. If you're not dependent on the help of the Holy Spirit, you're already in trouble. And we haven't even hit... The first part of the armor yet. Our strength and our ability comes from the Lord. So there's a dependency that has to happen. And even in what we do, we still, even in our best efforts, we still need God's supernatural power to help us. And so that's important to remember. So it goes on in verse 11. It says to put on all of God's armor. Not all, not some of it, the parts that are convenient. He says put it all on whether you want to or not. So that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies or the tricks of the devil. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. This isn't a natural thing. It says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So because you have an adversary, put on every piece of God's armor. So now he's told us twice. You know, anytime something's repeated in Scripture, it's always for emphasis. It would be like today texting in all caps and people are like, why are you yelling? This is kind of like God yelling at us. Say, hey, put on the whole armor. That's what, that's the way you interpret Bible today. It's like all caps in texting. Now he's telling us, so he's wanting us to catch what he's saying. Put on every piece of God's, God's, God's armor. Had a weird accent there. Said, so you will be able to resist the the enemy in the time of evil. So put on your armor, why? So that you can withstand the attack of the enemy. He says, uh, and goes on, he says, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. He says, stand your ground. Don't back up. Don't turn around saying, please leave me alone. Stand your ground. Realize you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not believe. You are seated with Christ right now in heavenly places. So, yes, I may be confident, but my confidence comes from the Lord because that's the strength and the power of my life, not in my goodness or my righteousness or my ability to do good things. No, my confidence is in the Lord, period. My strength, my ability, the source of my, it all comes from Him. And so, but I do all of those things and I stand my ground. I don't back up and I don't apologize to the devil, I don't say, excuse me, pardon me, can I just get by you? I say, get out of my way. Again, I'm not picking a fight, but if he comes, he's going to get a fight. I'm not out looking for him now. You know, and I've said this many weeks, and I'll just say it again because I think it's important. We're not out looking for adversaries. They will come to us. So when they come, we deal with them. But I'm not out hunting them either. You know, but when they come, I'm going to stand my ground. It says... Uh, The first part here of verse 14, it says, put on the belt of truth. We've talked about all of these. It says, after that, put on the armor of God's righteousness, not self-righteousness, God's righteousness, who we are in Christ. It says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. And we talked about that. Those aren't just little 
dandy little sandals. They're actually a piece of armor that was wore to protect and uh, the Romans, obviously Paul was writing here about a Roman soldier in his attire, and uh, they used them as weapons, and they gave them a great advantage. So it's, you know, even though it says here the peace that comes from the good news, it was a weapon that was used, and it was brutal. And, um, but it goes on, it says, in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. It says, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. He didn't just say it was going to be there. I mean, all these other things he may say put on. He says, you've got to take this. You've got to grab a hold of this. In other words, this is an action. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the sword of the Spirit. You know, every other part of the armor is defensive in nature. Except for this one. The helmet was defensive. Even the shoes that I was just talking about. Even though they could be used offensively. Primarily, they were to protect the foot and the low, everything below the knee. I mean, think of like a shin guard. They, it was really defensive. Now, they turned them into an offensive, but that was kind of when everything else is lost, or if it was more convenient, they could use it in an, um, an offensive manner. But yet, really, the only thing that we see in, in all of the armor that Paul gives us, which, again, he's looking at and really giving us the picture of a Roman soldier. So think like the movie like Gladiator or something like that. That's the attire that we're talking about. I mean, these guys are decked out in this attire. And so, uh, and he gives us some understanding here. And he says, take up the sword of the Spirit. So again, this takes the Holy Spirit. It's not just the sword. It, it, there's more. To, this, is a, this is actually with the help of the Holy Spirit that will work in our life. And so this morning, I want to spend some time talking about this and sharing some things with you. So that you understand how to properly use the sword. Because you have been given a sword. And it is highly effective. As a matter of fact, there's not anything the enemy can do about it when we use it. But what good is a knife left in its sheath? You know, the little slip thing on the side, right? What good is it if you never get it out? Not going to do you much good. I got a knife. Great. So what? I mean, that's like when somebody breaks in, you know, somebody's house and they're like, I have a gun, even though they don't. You're going to get yourself hurt. You say that. You better know what you have. And so I want to give you a little bit of background um, about the Roman soldiers specifically about their sword. Now, they used, and they had many swords, actually. They had about five different types of swords. But the one that's specifically referred to here in Ephesians uh, 6, 17, we're going to look at. But the first one that they had was a very large two-handed sword. So this is like, you know, those big monsters. And you're like, how in the world do people fight with those? They didn't. They trained with them is what they did because they were very large and very heavy. You couldn't even wield it with one hand. It took two hands and they would train. They trained every day, morning and afternoon, much like military. They did it every day. The Roman soldiers did. And so they would actually have these wood posts and they would be out there swinging it. Now it was double the weight of a normal fighting sword. You know, now, many of you know this, but I grew up playing baseball. And so before I would get up to home plate, we would put a, what we called a donut on our bat. It was a weight. And we'd be standing in the on-deck circle swinging, warming up. Why? Because why would you put something heavier on it? Because when you got to the plate, it would actually, your muscles would be ready. And the bat was much lighter, so you could swing faster. Similar idea to what the Romans were doing. They trained. Why? Because they wanted their muscles 
prepared for something that was much heavier. That way when they got into a fight, they could swing their sword much faster with much more agility than what they had trained with. And so so this was a very large sword. They had uh, another one that was closer to what we see in the movies. It was probably about three feet long. The problem was that wasn't very good for very close quarter combat. How do you swing something that's three feet long right here? Kind of hard. And really you could only swipe with it, which is not the most effective way at using a large blade. And so uh, they also had several more that were very small, like daggers, like little things that they would keep that if they really got in trouble, they're sort of, you know, they could, well, in modern terms, they could shank somebody with it. And, uh, you know, it was just a real short little knife that could do enough damage. But if all else failed, they would keep several small knives in their back uh, where they could grab them and do what they needed to do. And, uh, you know, but those really weren't big enough. I mean, because that's a one man knife. You use it, and most of the time they would lose it. They wouldn't even keep them. They, wouldn't, they were so utilitarian, they just left them. But there was this last uh, blade, and it even has a name. Now, you know when a weapon has a name, it was pretty effective. And, uh, you know, and so the name of this particular sword that is referred to here in Ephesians was actually called the Gladius Sword. And it was about a foot and a half long, roughly. It was two-edged, so it had, you know, razor-sharp sides. And a very sharp point that was actually tilted upward slightly. You ever wondered why our military has slightly curved swords? That's actually by design. And uh, this one here, though, was known to be ex- exceptionally brutal and effective. Uh, they would, I won't go into the details because the Romans, if you don't know, were maybe one of the most brutal fighting forces in history. And so they found ways to torture people. And, uh, you know, to to, to inflict maximum damage. And I won't go into the details, but um, it was curved so that when they would stab, it would come up to create maximum damage. And uh, but what it was is that they didn't slash with these swords like we think they stabbed. It was just a puncture. Why? Because if I slash somebody here, I got ribs to protect. Right. Well, but if you stab, it can go right in between and you don't have to go but about two inches deep to actually be fatal. With a shot to the torso. So the Romans had perfected this art of getting in there. And they would use their shield to deflect. And and it was really close quarter combat. That's why they needed a sword about 18 inches long. Because they could do a lot of damage very quickly. They could wield it. It wasn't heavy. It wasn't cumbersome. And they kept it on their hips so they could draw it out very quickly and use it. And so, uh, you know, it was, you know, in that way. So, uh, but those are some of the details. And so the reputation of this sword would actually be uh, this, and this was actually said in the, in the known world at that time, is that, that the gladius was the sword that had conquered the world. That was its reputation. It would be kind of like today um, when our U.S. military rolls in with fifty caliber guns. You ever seen a fifty caliber gun? They're massive. Well, I mean, I know they're becoming more and more uh, you know, known and seen and used now, but there was a time when the fifty caliber just the sight of it, people would run because it could shoot thousands of yards at a very high rate. And so, you know, I mean, shoot planes out of the air. I mean, do all kinds of stuff. And they would, and and so it was really a force. And so even, let me say it this way, even the reputation of the weapon brought fear. When the Roman soldiers would walk around, people could see that sword and instantly people would kind of retreat because they, they had heard about what it would do and what it could do and what its potential was. This is the sword that Paul's actually talking about when he says it's the sword of the Spirit. So you could even look at it like this, is that when we properly use the sword of the Spirit, 
all demonic power gets scared. It brings fear. Why? Because they know they are helpless against it. The problem is many times is that either we don't know what we have or we don't know how to use it properly. And it's not difficult. God doesn't make anything difficult. We make things difficult. God keeps it pretty simple. And so that's why it's important that we stay with the word. Because if it gets too complicated, something's wrong. God didn't make it complicated. I mean, if he was going to make something complicated, it would have been salvation. Because that's the most beneficial thing in the world to any human being. And yet he made it as simple as possible. So why would God make things super complicated after the fact? Okay, now that you're saved, let me complicate your life. No, he says, I'm going to keep it pretty simple. And so, uh, you know, I was reading one commentator about this, and he made the statement referring, talking about uh, believers, about Christians. And he says, without a sword, we amount to little more than heavily armored moving targets. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at it. I've got my helmet, I've got my breastplate, I've got my shield of faith, I've got my, my you know, I've got the... The belt of truth. I've got my shoes that are the peace of God. I've got all of these aspects of my life. But if I have all that in place, but I don't know how to use a sword, all I am is just a moving target. I'm heavily armored, but I can't really do anything to help myself. I can try to save myself. I can attempt to, but really without it, I'm just a moving target. And so unlike all the other pieces of the armor of God, which are solely primarily defensive, the sword is uniquely suited for both defensive and offensive roles. It serves really two functions. Uh, it gives us a solid defense, which is important. Why? Because even in natural battle, you take a sword, you can deflect. Think of like a, uh, what do you call those people? People who fence. I can't think what they're called. But anyhow. Is it a fencer? I thought they had some fancy name. You know, you think about those kinds of, yeah, I don't know what they're called. But they, you know, most of it is not that they're attacking. Most of it is actually defensive, but then they strike. You know, and that's much of what they use. And so, yes, the sword does provide defense, but the sword is the only way that we can actually complete the work that we've been given to do. It's the only way that we can actually accomplish God's plan in our life. And so, um, you know, let me give you a new... Now, well, obviously... There's, a, there's several ways and several things, and we're going to look at several things this morning about this that I believe will bring clarity for you. Um, but, you know, obviously it says here that we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that the belt of truth was the Word of God. How many of you remember that? And you're like, well, how can the Word of God be two things? It's because there's two different words that don't mean the same thing. And I'm going to give them to you here in just a few moments because they're not the same thing. Let me say it this way. If you don't have the belt of truth, which is the word of God, really it's the word uh, on a broad scale, if you will, that's in your life to bring truth, to bring God's uh, desire in our lives, where do you put your sword? Because, you know, a soldier didn't just walk around with a sword in his hand. It hung on his belt, right? So without the belt, you got nowhere to put a sword, so it's important that the foundation of our life is the Word of God. But we also have another aspect of the Word of God that is effective, highly effective. You know, let me say it, let me give you an example of this. How many of you know Scripture or know somebody, let's just say you know somebody, who can quote Scripture all day long, but yet the devil has a field day in their life? They may have the belt of truth. Where's their sword? <laughs> They have knowledge, but they don't really have understanding. 
And there's a big difference. You can say, you can call it revelation. You can call it whatever you want. There's a difference between just knowing what the Bible says and knowing what to do with it. And the difference is the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. And I'm going to give you some details on this here in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, let, let me give you an example of this. Because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. But, um, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to rearrange my notes on the fly. See, so as I was just saying, you have to have the belt of truth so that you can carry the sword. Now, there's two words for the biblical word, word. Now, I know I just said that word three times. Now, make it four. But there are actually two different variations of word that are Scripture. Number one, which is what we see with the belt of truth, is the word logos, which is the written or the revealed word of God. In other words, it's what you have sitting in your lap, sitting on your dresser, all those types of things. But there's a lot of people who have a Bible in their home, probably multiples, and yet it produces nothing in their life. God's plan is revealed, but it just sits there untapped into. But, it, but God's, is the Bible still the Bible? Is a Bible that has an inch of dirt or dust or whatever you want to say, is it still not the inspired Word of God? Of course it is. But, so we have that which we understand is Scripture. It's the written Word of God. But yet, when we start talking about the sword of the Spirit, it's a different word. So we have logos for the, the written word, but then there's this word called rhema. The word rhema is different. Uh, and really, when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, that's the word that Paul uses, and that's by design. It's actually the spoken word of God. Let me say it another way. It's the alive word of God. It's the quickened word of God. It's a specific word from God for you in that moment. It's different. Let me say it this way. Logos can become rhema at any given moment. It's when the light bulb clicks. That's what that means. When you're praying about a specific situation or circumstance and all of a sudden a scripture comes rising up out of your heart and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's what, I, what, did you, what just happened. Logos switched from just knowledge to now a quickened word by the Holy Spirit because, you know, scriptures don't just float into our mind. It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit that brings them. And so it's important that we understand this. And so, you know, even the, the job or the role of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26 is what? He says, I will remind you, the Holy, Jesus speaking to the disciples says that the Holy Spirit would remind us of all the things that he had spoken. Well, Jesus was the word made flesh, dwelt among us, John chapter 1. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring back to our remembrance what we have learned, what we have Stored into our heart. And so it's important that we realize this. The Holy Spirit will not give us word that we've not deposited. That we've not put into our heart. And so it's important that we know the, again, the belt of truth supports the sword. So we've got to have the word in our life. Why? So that the Holy Spirit can bring it back when we need it. So that he can quicken that very scripture, that very word that we need for that moment. You know, and it's important because he can't, you know, I always, when I was youth pastor, I used to always tell my students, you can't pray the prayer, Holy Spirit, bring all things back to my remembrance if you hadn't studied. He's got nothing to work with. You can pray the prayer, but you weren't diligent enough to do your studies. Therefore, why can you ask the Lord to help you in this moment? You know, but if you studied, I think you should pray that prayer, especially when you get stuck. Lord, I know I studied this and I cannot remember this answer. You know, and I, I mean, I, 
many times I will pray and just ask the Holy Spirit. I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, I know that I've looked at this. I know I've thought about this, and I can't remember. What was I, why did I walk in this room? So annoying, right? Holy Spirit, can you help me, please? If I'm trying to figure something out that I just can't figure out, I'll pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me to, to bring back those things that I've looked into. And I'm amazed how many times. It's, it's always something simple, and it's never complicated. It's always straightforward, but He helps me. And so he reminds me or quickens us with the word that we put into our heart. Now, here's just a question, and I don't mean to put any, um, any pressure or anything like that, but this is just kind of a fact-check moment. How many scriptures have you committed to memory this month? What about this year? I mean, I, and I don't mean just like casually reading them. I mean like that you've committed to memory, like where you could quote them and actually be accurate. I mean, I know that I'm guilty as much as anybody where I go and quote a verse and quote a verse and quote a verse, and then I go read it, and I'm like, oh, that's not exactly how it says it. It's important that we know the Word. Why? So the Holy Spirit can bring it back. I mean, it would be better for you to say, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to commit to memory 12 verses this year, one a month. I mean, if you did one a week, that'd be 52. Not whole chapters, verses. Just commit to a verse. You ain't got to be like a walking Bible. I can recite the book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) First off, what good is that going to do you? What good is it going to do anybody else? Great that you know it. I mean, I'm amazed when people can just like recite the Bible. Just, I'm like, wow, okay. But you know, you can memorize the Bible and it not change you at all. So it's more important that we memorize verses, especially, you know, and this is how you say, well, how do you know what to memorize? Start reading the Bible. When a verse sticks out, memorize it. Like that just, it just kind of highlights for some reason. Write it down. Put it on the mirror. Put it on the steering wheel. Put it where you're going to see it. If you're struggling with an area of your life, get some verses specific to that area of your life. Begin to memorize those. Why? Because that's your weaponry. You know, I'll give you an example of this from my own life. I remember... Not long after I first started really trying to live for the Lord and, you know, was actually not just trying to do it in my flesh, but actually really was saved and really wanted to live for the Lord. I was, uh, you know, about when I was 16 when I got saved, almost right before I was 17. And so even 17, 18, 19, one of the areas of my life that I knew was out of control, that I knew that I had to have God's help with was the, in the area of lust. And I knew not even for my calling, but just for me to live successfully for the Lord, I was going to have to deal with this area of my life. You know, and it was more than just, well, I'm just a teenager. And I've just got hormones and I'll grow out of this. No, you won't. You don't grow out of anything. You learn out of things. You grow spiritually and overcome some things. You you don't just grow out. You know, and so one of the things that I did, and, and I don't really know where I got the idea, but I just started looking up scriptures about my thought life, about, um, you know, lust. About all, and I had a sheet of paper that I left by my bed. Now I'm a teenager. If I could do this as a teenager, surely you can do this as an adult. Right? And so what I did was I had a whole page of... Now, again, I don't believe anybody ever told me to do this. I just... I just and I still hold to this. I just read the Bible and I do what it says. God doesn't make it difficult. Just do it His way. Things are going to work out. But I took some verses and I had them beside my bed. And I would read them every morning when I woke up. And it was the last thing that I would do before I went to sleep. And I'd pray in the morning and I'd pray at night. 
And I would speak to myself. You will live in a way that honors God. You will think thoughts that bring glory to God. You are a man of God and you will act like one. You will think like one. And that's how I talked to myself as a teenager. You're like, well, that's weird. It worked. So I don't care. You can argue theory all day long. It changed my life. So for me as a teenager, it changed. And even to the point where, because look, you, and we've been talking about this. You can't control the thoughts that come, but you can control what you do with them. Lustful thoughts would come and I'd say, I cast you down in the name of Jesus. I have the mind of Christ and I think righteously. And it broke the power in that area of my life. Now, it didn't happen overnight. And there have been times that the enemy has tried to come back into that door and I have to make sure that door is shut, locked, and everything else. And you know what? I deal with it the same way I did 20 years ago. No different. I still have the scriptures on my computer. The exact same thing. In any area of your life, the sword will work. It will work when we apply, but we've got to be diligent. It's just like what it talks about um, in 2 Corinthians where it says we have to uh, tear down every argument that would exalt itself against Christ, against the Word. Anything in our life that goes against or is in violation of the Word of God, we have to pull it down. It's through the power of the Spirit. Sometimes that'll come because of promptings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's through conviction. It's like things that were okay yesterday just aren't okay today. You ever had one of those moments where it's like the Lord just kind of puts his finger on something and just says, I don't like this. <laughs> and you're like, what changed? Nothing. The Lord just brought it out. Well, what do you do in that moment? Because you have a choice. I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, we don't get the option to tell the Lord no. It's not really an option with him. When he says you need to deal with this area of your life, you either walk in obedience or disobedience. You either say, yes, sir, I don't want to. Well, there's only blessing with yes, sir. There's only blessing there. There's nowhere else. So what we have to do is that when God shows us an area of our life that may not be what he wants it to be, we can use the word of God like a spiritual weapon to surgically remove those thoughts. And it's amazing what happens when that rhema word from God will come. Because in your moment of need, that word will come up. And it's the very word that you need for that very moment. And that's the way God works with us. So we have to learn how to use the word of God. We also have to allow the Holy Spirit to help us. And he will prompt us, and this is important, with simple truths, simple verses. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring me a chapter of the Bible to say, here's how you're going to deal with the enemy. I can remember, uh, I don't know how long ago it was now. It's been a year or two ago. I would have been praying about some things, praying about some things, praying about some things, praying about some things. And I'm like, why am I not getting my breakthrough? Why am I not getting the answer that I need? I'm not quite sure how to approach this. And I didn't know what to do. So I was spending some time praying, just asking the Lord what I need to do. And all of a sudden this verse came. You have not because you ask not. Simple. Not deep. Most people that go to church could probably quote that verse. A lot of people who don't go to church could quote that. May not know where it is, but you have not because you ask not. I mean, my mom used to tell me that as a kid. If you want something, ask. Right? Well, I hadn't really thought about it like that. And all of a sudden I thought, huh. 
And so I just prayed. And I said, all right, Father, your word says I have not because I ask not. Now, this specific instance that I'm referring to had to do with finances. I've been believing God and asking the Lord what I need to do, how I need to approach some certain things. He said, you have not because you ask not. That was the response. Now, he didn't say it. It was just that verse came up on the inside of me. It's a little nudge of the Holy Spirit. Hey, remember, you're missing this area. And what I found was that I had not been standing upon the Word of God in that area, specifically in this circumstance. And so I just began to declare what the Word of God says over me. Father, I thank you that I'm a tither, and I thank you that you said your blessings would come upon me and overtake me. I thank you that your, that your Word says that as, a, as a, a generous person, that I would prosper and that I would not lack any good thing. And I thank you that you're faithful to your Word and you're faithful to me. Within a week, things changed. Within a week. Was it based off of who I am? No. Was it based off of just a fluke? No. It was based on a specific targeted word in a moment that God spoke. And that specific targeted word produced what God wanted in my life. But what if I would have just said, well, I don't know what to do with that. I have not because I asked not. What would I do with that? Uh, you do something with it. Well, I thought that might have been the Lord. Does it seem good? <laughs> Try it. I mean, like, well, I'm not, how do I know if it's the Lord? Try it and see. It's called trial and error. You know, for a long time, I was so concerned about missing God that I never stepped for God. So now I'm taking a new approach. I'm going to take some steps, and if God blesses it, praise God. And if He doesn't, I'm going to learn that wasn't the Lord. <laughs> Right? Because I was so paranoid that I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss, I don't want to miss God, I don't want to miss God, I don't want to miss God. First off, if I miss it, God's big enough. I would rather make attempts and say, Lord, I tried. Now, you know, when I'm saying this, I'm talking about small things in life. I'm not talking about big decisions. But how else are you going to learn? I didn't just jump on a bike one day and go riding. I fell over occasionally. I hurt myself a few times. But I got back up and I said, okay, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to learn. And that's the way we have to approach even hearing the voice of God. God is speaking to all of us all the time. Well, how do I know if it's him? Is there peace? Does it line up with the word of God? I mean, there are some criteria that yes. Okay, well, if all the boxes check, here's what you do. You start swinging your sword. I am the healed of the Lord. He restores my health. He restores my life. I have the peace of God. God's peace guards my thought and my life and my heart. And His peace guards every part of my life. Chaos has no place in me. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's how you use the sword. Mind, you will not think crazy thoughts. You will think according to the word of God. And when an offending thought comes, you say, no, sir, not, not today. You will not control me. You will not manipulate me. Fear, you will not dominate my life. I am in control. Because I have the sword of the Spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you're like, well, I don't know what verse to use. It's not the best thing to go grab a Bible and throw it down and say, what verse do I need today? You got about as good a chance as that working as you win in the lottery this week. Okay? Look, God is merciful. God is graceful. 
Maybe. But it's a lot better when the Holy Spirit prompts you. It's a whole lot better. But you've got to put the word in your heart. That's why the, the book of wisdom in Proverbs says, My child, hide my word in your heart. Why? Because they are life and they are health unto you. They will bring life and health to you. So the Holy Spirit will prompt even just simple truths and verses, not whole chapters, so that we can use them even when we're in a battle. The, the rhema word has incredible power to drive back the enemy. It, because it's a specific word. It's not generic. Sometimes you come to church and you hear me minister and you're like, well, I didn't get anything out of church today. Preacher was off today. Was a seed sown into your life? Was the word of God sown into your... Maybe you didn't need it for today, but come six months from now, a year from now, you're going to be like, I remember when pastor preached this message. See, God can sow something into your heart today that you might not need till five years from now. The Bible does say he's the one who sees ahead and makes provision. So we sow the seed into our life of the word of God. It will produce a harvest, but we have to apply that in a proper manner. And so, you know, there's some things here that we have to understand. And so when we really, and it's twofold here, when we take the meaning of the sword, which I didn't even attempt to try to say the Greek word, because good luck. I don't know if you ever tried to do that, but it's like speaking Greek, because it's Greek. Okay, it's, it's out there. But when you take the meaning of the sword that's referenced there in Ephesians six seventeen, and you add the understanding and the meaning of the word rhema, this is what this verse could sound like. Because remember what I read to you. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of information. But let me give you, if you take all the meaning and you kind of re, reword it, this is what it could sound like. The Spirit will place a razor-sharp sword at your disposal any time the enemy gets too close. The sword's power will be available the very moment the Spirit quickens a specific word for a specific situation that you're facing. That's what that verse, when it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a razor-sharp, two-edged sword that's at your disposal. And the Holy Spirit will prompt a specific verse, not a generic verse, a specific verse to your specific situation. It's when the Word becomes personal to you. Now here it gives us the idea that it is a two-edged sword. Now, the Bible talks multiple times about a two-edged sword, which is kind of an interesting, um, you know, I mean, I'm not a, a knife genius, but I do know certain things. Is that a double-edged blade is a lot better than a single edge. Why? Because a single edge can only cut on one side. And especially when you're talking about battle, it cut going in and it cut coming out. That was the advantage uh, in a military standpoint. But yet the Bible, and, uh, through Paul, talks about a double-edged sword. Well, what does that mean? And scripturally, what does that mean for us? Now, let me give you a couple of verses here. Um, the first one comes out of Revelations 1, 16. This speaking about Jesus, it says, He held seven stars in His right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from His mouth. Now, that's interesting. Because the sword is on your hip. It's on the belt of truth, right? But yet here it says that Jesus has a double-edged sword in His mouth. Revelations 2, verse 12. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church of uh, Paragam. It says, this is the message to the, uh, from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Now again, this is Jesus speaking. Two-edged sword is in his mouth. 
I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not just words on a page. The word of God will read you if you let it. It is alive. It's powerful. It says it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Here's what the Word of God will do. When the Holy Spirit breathes upon a verse, when He highlights a verse, when He brings it, what will it do? It will even expose your own thoughts, fears, and desires to you that you were unaware of. You're like, that's why I'm afraid in this situation. That's why I'm afraid to take this step of faith. The Lord's been trying to get me to do this for years, and I've been too afraid, and that's why. That's what the Word of God will do. It will expose our, our, even our own fears, our own desires, our own thoughts. It will reveal, really, the motivations behind things. I mean, for years, I did ministry with a skewed view. I've shared this before, but I'll share it very briefly, because I know not all of you have heard me say this. For years, I did ministry to prove people wrong. There was a girl I dated in college. Her dad told me I'd be a complete failure and I was an idiot for leaving college and going to Bible school. My grandmother, one of my grandmothers told me that I'd be broke the rest of my life because I was leaving college to pursue the ministry. She thought I was nuts. My own grandmother. And then the first person that I worked for in ministry told me I wasn't cut out or fit to be in ministry. So there were all these people early on when I made decisions to pursue what God had called me to do And so, my whole motivation was to prove them wrong. That's the G-rated version. And I had no idea. I'd been doing ministry nearly 10 years that way. Probably about eight. And the Holy Spirit brought light to it. And when He brought light to it, it brought healing See, I always wanted to help people. It wasn't that I was, that was the main motivation. But there was this secondary underlying thing going on that I was unaware of. And when the Holy Spirit pointed it out, it broke me. Because I realized I can't be effective really doing what God's called me to do until I deal with this. Because my motivation can't be to prove anybody wrong. My motivation needs to do the will of God. For my life, regardless of what anybody else says. I mean, and really, if you really want to boil it down, it was persecution in my life. Well, that persecution was dominating my life. I didn't know it. One of the most interesting things about that whole situation was I was youth pastoring at the time and I told my students, and they were like, We could have told you that. That's a blind, that's what I call a blind spot. I couldn't see it, but they all did, and they were teenagers. Not all of them, but some of them could. So what's going on on the inside of you really matters. And we need the rhema word of God to come to shine light on those areas of our heart. Why? Because God wants to bring healing to those areas. He wants to bring restoration to those areas. God's not doing it to isolate us or to make us feel bad. He wants to bring healing. So why? So that we can now go out and do and be who he's called us to be free of all the junk that wants to hold us back. But we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to come, just as it says here in Hebrews... That, that, that the Word of God, through the help of the Holy Spirit, comes in and it divides all the way down to the soul and the spirit. The Amplified says to the thoughts and the intents, the motives of the heart. That the Word of God comes in like a, like a, a surgeon's scalpel to cut out cancer. And just cut out, cut out what's necessary but nothing more. 
Our God is a master surgeon. He knows exactly how to come in and remove. Whether it be something physically, whether it be something emotionally, whether it be something in your past, the Word of God can come in and remove things out of your life in a moment. So fast that you're like, what just happened? I mean, what I just told you about took me three months to figure out. God came in in a moment and did something in my heart. And I was like, Dare even asked her. She said, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Three months later, I found out real quick. It was like just, I mean, not a vision, but it was almost like watching a movie, I guess you could say. And I just saw boom, 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 boom. All these people and all these statements that I had been harboring for years. And the Holy Spirit just was like, it's over. I bawled like a baby. I'm glad nobody else was around because I'd have been embarrassed. But it's just me and the Lord. And it wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy. Why? Because there was freedom. And all those things that were underlying in me that I didn't even, wasn't even aware of were gone in a moment because the Holy Spirit came in and just, hey, I want to take this. I wasn't aware in the moment. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that... That God did that, and He does that through His Word. Now, let me just give you this real quickly. I'm running out of time here, but that word two-edged sword there, it actually, uh, in the Greek, <laughs> it actually means this. It's uh, diastemos, stomos, actually, which actually means two-mouthed. Two-mouthed. Seems kind of funny. Um, you know, it's there in Revelation where it talks about, but let me just give you what, how I believe that this actually interprets into our life. Is that Scripture becomes more effective in our lives when we begin to speak the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, yes, but when you begin to speak the Word of God yourself, I can, I can speak the Word of God over you, I can pray over you, I can do all kinds of things. Your spouse, your people around you, your friends, your family, everybody else can be speaking the right things, but if you aren't saying the Word of God with faith in that Word, not saying that God won't move, God will, but you determine the effectiveness of God's Word in your life. Doesn't mean you have to know it all or have it all figured out. I'm not saying that. God is not, you know, a puzzle we got to put together before it works. God does a lot of things that I still don't understand. I just know he did something. But there are times that he gives specific things. And so, you know, the way I believe that this works out when it talks about two, two mouths, if you will, from this word, is that God has put one edge on the sword when he spoke. God gave us his word, and that's one edge on the sword. The other edge gets put on that sword when we begin to speak. It's a double-mouthed. And, and so and you're like, well, why would you say that? Well, where did you get that from? Let me give you a verse. It's in Isaiah 55, verse 11. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible as well. I believe this will help give you some understanding of why I believe that this is accurate, scripturally speaking. Now, this is God speaking, and he's actually talking about sowing of seeds. And so that's kind of the context, but I'm going to pick up right here in the middle. um, Because he talks about sowing seed, that it would bring harvest and bring, you know, all these types of things. And he says, uh, in verse 11, he says, So it is with my word that goes forth out of my mouth. So God says, look, I'm speaking my word. Just like you sow a seed into soil, I'm sowing my, my word. It goes forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return to me void. What do you mean return to me void? You ever thought your words, I mean, you know, think of it like a boomerang. You ever think that your words will come back to you? 
They do. I mean, they, words are seeds. But yet, here God says, My word shall go forth out of my mouth, and it sh- uh, shall not return to me void without producing any effect or useless. But it shall accomplish that which I please in purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing that I have sent it. What I believe happens is that God has given us His word. He's, he's given it to us in written form. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself is the Word who's been made flesh. God has given us His Word. He has sent His Word to us. And it gains power and effectiveness when we begin to speak His Word back to Him. Because God says, My Word will not return void. It will accomplish that which He has sent it to do when we send it back to Him. You know, I make this statement often because I believe it with all of my heart is that you are the most dominant voice in your life. You are. Not your spouse. Oh, I let my wife do all the praying. I let my husband do all the this and that. You are the most dominant voice in your own life. Nobody else can control your thought life. Because not all words are necessarily spoken. Much of it stays right here. You're the, that inner thought, that inner life, that inner talk that you kind of roll around with in your life. You are the most dominant voice in your life. It doesn't matter if everybody in the world says, you can do this, you can do this, you've got this, God has gifted you, you can do this. Until you believe that God has gifted you to do something, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because you have to have an understanding of who you are and who you've been created to be. And see, and just like I said... When God, when you have even the prompting of the Holy Spirit, highlights a verse, brings something back to your remembrance, what happens? That word starts going back to God. That word that God has sent, now you're returning because you're beginning to declare it out of your mouth. Father, I thank you that I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I, my life is filled with good things, blessings from you. I don't lack for any good thing. You bring good things into my life and you add no sorrow with them. I am the healed. I am the restored. Everything that the enemy has stolen from me, he has to give back. You begin to declare God's truth over your life. My home is a home of peace. You walk in your door. You can do whatever you want. You can anoint your door. You can lay your hands on it. You and your family ought to get together and pray. This is our sanctuary. This is where I come to rest. This is where I come to spend time with those that I love. Devil, this is marked territory. You're not welcome here. And if I catch you, I'm going to run you out the house. We're not going to have confusion and chaos and division. Nope. We have one vision. It's from God. You begin to say those kinds of things over your house. And we say it over our house. People that come to our house are going to be ministered to. You're like, what, you're going to stand up and preach to them? You're going to lay hands on them? Nope. The presence that's in my house is going to minister to those who come. Because we've set an atmosphere in our house. We're going to protect it. We pray over our life. We pray over our thoughts. We pray over our family. We pray over our finance. We pray over our health. We declare God's truth, God's promises. Why? Because that's the sword of the Spirit. And then when circumstances come, when the enemy comes, I'm going to take that sword out. I'm not going to leave it hanging out over there. No, he's going to give me a specific word at a specific moment for what? For maximum impact and effectiveness. 
But I have to have that word stored in my heart. Now, we don't have time, but I would encourage you. Because I told you that the Holy Spirit would give you simple truths. Go read Luke 4. Jesus in the wilderness. The devil came to tempt him. Jesus didn't give him some dissertation. If you're really the Son of God, why don't you take this loaf or turn this rock into a loaf of bread? You've got to be hungry. Jesus didn't say, well, hey, I am the bread of life. I am this. I am that. Here's the... From Genesis to... Here's the reasons why that can't happen. He just says, hey, the Bible says, man should not live by bread alone. That's Rama. Shut the devil up. Now you notice, here's one of the things to realize. When Jesus responded with the word, what did the devil not do? Argue. When Jesus answered with the word, the devil just said, okay, let's go to the next one. Because obviously I can't do nothing there. Hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you come up here and throw yourself off the cliff here because... He's given his angels charge over you. Oh no, devil. The word. The word, the word, the word. He always came back. And the devil moved on. Three times he tested him. Trying to figure a way in. And then it says he left him for a more opportune time. Jesus didn't respond with who he was. Didn't respond with anything else. He responded with the word. Very simply. Little statements. What does the word say? And then the devil left because he got frustrated. Not today. Jesus responded with the word. And if that worked for Jesus, it'll work for us. But we need that that wisdom from the Holy Spirit to speak to us in that moment when we need it the most. And here's the good news for you. He's talking to you. Every one of you. The Holy Spirit all the time wants to share with you the wisdom of God for your life. In anything you face, you're not alone. You have the helper. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been equipped for this. You have the mind of Christ. You do. Your your mind and your soul are being renewed. Renew it with the Word of God. Why? So that in that time of need, that Word will be prompted. It will jump up out of your heart. It will be the very Word you need in that moment. And it will shut the mouth of the enemy. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. You shut him down by declaring God's Word. That's how, that's how we do battle with the sword. And the sword is the most effective weapon. Now let me just give you an, an, an example of this. I've already shared it, but I, uh, practically, how does this look? You know, I don't have to pray loud. I don't have to pray long. I don't have to make a big show of it. Doing that is the equivalent of taking a big knife and swinging it real big. Not very effective, though. What is effective is a very short thrust straightforward just that's how the Romans fought they didn't go in there just swinging like madmen the people who fought them did and they were calculated and just while he's rearing up to take a swipe quick stab that's why they were effective because they knew how to use their sword effectively and they also didn't waste a ton of energy out there swinging around like a crazy man They were very efficient in what they did. So even when we're talking about spiritual things, the volume of your prayer does not matter. Now, personality, some people are loud, some people are quiet. has nothing to do with personality. That's not what this is about. This is the help of the Holy Spirit with the sword of the Spirit taking a quick moment to use the tool that's already been deposited in your heart 
and using it at the most effective way against the enemy. Just declaring the word of God. Guarding your thoughts. Guarding your, your, your mind and, and what you allow to roll around there. Take dominion over, you know, the Bible says take dominion over all the dust of the earth. We are dust. That's why we say at funerals from dust we came, from dust we will return. God made Adam out of the dust. You've got to take dominion over yourself. It's the most important dominion you'll ever take. But when you do it, and you do it according to Scripture, it is highly effective. And you can shut the mouth of the enemy in your life.